So this Native American family moves to the big city, and there's some cultural shock and some changes and stuff like that. And the youngest child, after a couple weeks of school, all puzzled, comes and he's looking quizzical, and his father says, you know, son, what is, what is troubling you? He says, why do we have such weird names? He goes, oh, they're not weird names. Our culture is different. And our naming process, you know, is different than a lot of other cultures. And what's happening in our lives or things that inspire us or where names come from. Like the night that your brother was born, there was a buffalo run and we could hear them out in the plains and that's why he's named Buffalo Run and the night your sister was conceived there was a shooting star and that's why her name is Shooting Star I mean these names have a lot more meaning to us and not that other cultures doesn't and it's just going to be an adjusted time people are going to get used to the way we are and we'll accept some of their things and it's just part of the um, growing process of integrating into the city Anytime you have any of these problems, just come and talk to your father, Broken Rubber. <laughs> come and talk to your father, Broken Rubber. <laughs> Walked right into the propeller. <laughs> hey, this is Shock. I'm Joe. And this is Carnival Personnel. And that was a funny, <laughs> funny joke. If it was told by somebody good at telling jokes, maybe. I actually, You know what? I, read? I actually saw that joke on the back of a... <laughs> uh, a uh, Happy Meal box <laughs> that was promoting Pocahontas. Oh, very nice. Um, hey, it's great that McDonald's is getting behind Senator Warren's next uh, campaign re-election. Yep, that's good. <laughs> there that's you really go. Good. Uh, with that, with that little bit of, uh, I don't know what you what you call that. Uh, so, welcome to the show. First, foremost, a uh, big shout out to our new best friend Jonathan for coming by to the studio. And all kidding aside, did he not love the studio? Yeah, we can call this a studio. <laughs> he called it a studio. He thought it was great. He had these great... I mean, he's looking around, and we you know, are talking about maybe doing a cable version of the show. Well, let's remind the audience, of course, who have oh, already heard the yes, sideshow. Yes. Who is Jonathan? Jonathan is the end-all, be-all of... And I, I'm not going to say it right. It's media... It's uh, Arlington Community Media Inc. Community Media, because I'm an old dinosaur who still calls it, you know, public access. access. But we met Jonathan a few months ago. Joe's worked on a couple of projects with him down at the studio. We've got him in here to talk about, like, you know, his history with it, the evolution from, you know, cable access to, you know, to a media conglomerate that they are. Really impressive studio facility, and Jonathan really knows his stuff, and it was uh, great to have him here. Like I was saying, Joe and I have toyed with the idea of going back to our roots and doing a studio media show, and Jonathan was looking around this place like, no, you should do it here. This place is great. <laughs> this is how we should light it, and we can do this with this, and you know, the customers can come in and use them. I won't bother them. They won't bother me. No, 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 no. It's not here. It's in the next room. I can afford this place anyways. Uh, and that's our first... We don't need to tell you what, that, <laughs> what movie that's from. But you it, know. Yes. But so it was great. It, was, it, it really is great having a, a third voice here on the rare occasion Jim can't come by. <laughs> so, But it, it was. It was a lot of fun. So, uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming in. Um, and hopefully, you know, we, we do some more projects together, either there with you or, or having you come back. Um, so a big shout out for that. Uh, what else you got going on? You know, what, what, what awfulness can we talk about and get out of the way? Uh, well, why don't we maybe not do the awfulness first, right? Not do the awfulness right. first. Right. Well, let's talk about Halloween. How was your Halloween? Which Halloween? 
Because now all the towns do different trick-or-treatings on different times, and some do it like the Saturday before Halloween. Some do it like the Saturday after. Some towns a few years ago started doing it on the weekends. Oh. Uh, Yeah. I mean, when we would come back for visit, whether we were coming here from L.A. or from Cutter, it would, you know, um, management's brother's town would do it one time or the other, and then other towns started doing that. So the town that we have been living in, Wilmington, shout out to Wilmington, go Wildcats. They had it on Halloween, so that was on Tuesday. And then, you know, a couple days later, um, one of the little guys, like classmates, says, hey, we're trick-or-treating tomorrow in the next town. So they went uh, two times trick-or-treating, and you know, uh, which I'm all good for because now I don't have to buy candy for another day. Four, five days. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And right. again, much like one of your kids, you know, some foods, you know, aren't great with my kids, but I'm like, hey, just take everything, say thank you, and uh, I'll eat it. Yeah. So, so I'm just, Right in front of the parents. <laughs> you know, we avoid those uh, teal pumpkin houses. Hey, those kids need those calculators. <laughs> they were, we, uh, they, the boys did get a plethora of erasers. Wow. Like Halloween erasers and stuff yes, like well, that. Oh, Halloween erasers. Yeah, so, not yeah. just regular number no, two not just, butt and <laughs> Right. Half June pencil in. So uh, so Halloween, was it was good. Uh, what did you dress up as? I, I usually go out as Nightwing. You know, I got one. No, I mean for Halloween. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> that's the thing. And we talked about it. It's like, I like being the guy wearing a Nightwing outfit on a random Wednesday in July. Right, but at a funeral? Hey, you know what? They, they knew what they were getting into. They invited me. They bought their tickets. So it was. It was good. And again, can't get can't get enough of the Paul in. Oh, God. That, I mean, I, that is now going to be an evergreen of all the wonderfulness of different cultish and, and subculture and pop culture things that you've brought into my life, Joe, I will never be able to say thank you enough for discovering the magic that is the, was it 1970? 1976. Six Paul Lynn Halloween special. Is it VJ Day? <laughs> so It smells like VJ Day in here. I think. <laughs> so, uh, all right, so let's not get into the awful. You want to talk about our field trip? Oh, yeah. So, because I don't dominate the entire conversation, why don't you tell us about the field trip we took last Sunday? Uh, so Jacques showed up at my house at 3 in the morning, which is normal, by the way. And then we decided, hey, why don't we go somewhere fun? So what we did was we drove for four hours to New Jersey, and we went to the MetLife Stadium where the New Jersey Jets... <laughs> well, but first we, we I say New Jersey. Jets. We, we wanted to get we meaning me being uh, a plan ahead anal fuck uh, got to uh, two and a half hours early, so we had time to kill at the Vince Lombardi Memorial Rest Stop. Yeah, I guess not the NFL Shrine it once was. It, it was it for a long time. It was. Uh, a, a, a kind of a mini Hall of Fame right there, memorabilia, plaques, and all this stuff, and now it's just another homogenized, you yeah. know. Yeah, we have the Popeyes and Burger King and all that, and uh, I, I, but of course, you know, we're sitting in your car in the parking lot as the sun's coming up, and you're saying, I think we're breaking a record <laughs> with the most amount of men in a car at Vince Lombardi's <laughs> rest stop who are not gay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is one. And anyways, <laughs> uh, you know, and then of course, you know, we we tried to help, like you know. Uh, 
somebody came up and said, "Can you, you know, help jump a car?" So that that added to the excitement of the morning because right. uh, the the he, the dude didn't hook up the charges right, and all of a sudden Joe's looking. I was like, "I don't think that wire is supposed to be on fire." It literally was on fire. Right, a positive, black, negative. But anyway, so what a awesome start to a long-winded story. This is, this episode is going to go for four hours. So we so we get to MetLife. We get to MetLife. So the reason we're there is because. Uh, Jacques has w- done work booking opening acts for the uh, at NFL games to sing the national anthem. This particular act was Constantine Maroulis from not Morales. No, not Morales. He's a Greek, but he was great. He killed it. He knocked it out of the park. It was raining like cats and dogs living together. Mass hysteria. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, we 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 were able to uh, hang out with him for a little bit. We hung out in the Jets' green room, their their big kind of swanky, you know, luxury box place where I was surprised at the amount of people that actually kind of flooded in. You know, I thought it was just going to be us. You know, I thought it was, you know, just a a cozy get-together for, like, you, me, Constantine, and Baba Booey from the Howard Stern Show. (laughs) Joe's not kidding. He was there. And, yeah, and team to team, it's all different. Sometimes you're just in a green room, and then they move you up to a box. Sometimes you're in your own box. Sometimes you're in, you know, and and this was, like, the, what is it, the Jets Porsche green room. So a, a big swanky thing, like, open bar. Like two, I, I don't don't say like celebrity chefs, but two known New York chefs on either side of the room. Yeah, they had and they had a plethora of food to uh, to eat. I mean, they had hot dogs. They, they did. had shrimp. They did. Um, I, I I didn't like you know check out the whole spread. And you're not a big you're not a uh, you're a vegetarian, so you didn't like to you know see what kind of right. But what, they had what, a whole meat cutting section. Right. Yeah, they had that. I don't think we've seen one play live. No, uh, no, because and again, it, it was it was raining the whole most of the way down there. And Joe, what what is that? Uh, Joe has an awesome weather app that is so oh, it's, scary accurate. It's an app called My Radar, and and he would say it's like okay, it's going to be fine for the next four and a half minutes, but then you can see it's going to rain really hard for seven minutes, and then it's going to get easy for three minutes. And it was so we get there, the sound check is at ten thirty. Drizzling, maybe just a tad bit of drizzling at that. Yep, and then uh, it, it picked up after that. But uh, sound check was fun. We got to go down to uh, the side. Actually, well, we went down to the sideline for both the sound check and the actual anthem. We we stood on the the Falcon side. Uh, nobody took a knee except for the cameraman. The cameraman <laughs> took it. The cameraman did take it. Uh, it was funny at one point. Like we are on the Falcons bench, and at one point, like during warm up, it's like uh, Matt Ryan is as close as I am to Joe right now throwing in you know short like tenor out you know 10 yard routes to like julio jones and joe's like i dare you i dare you to say 28 to 3 and then as they're lining up for the national anthem like the kicker's right in front of us he's wearing number three and joe's like i hope number 28 stands next to him i hope 28 stands next to him that's a little uh patriot a-hole talk for a little bit i took a picture of Jacques opening his overshirt to reveal his patriots t-shirt <laughs> Right behind, you know, in front of the Mets Life logo, standing, standing on check because uh, again, Patriot a hole. Um, yep. So, I, is that the first time you've ever seen me wearing a shirt that has buttons or a collar? Um, no. Or have you been to court with me? I have. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. There was that. There was that. Right, one the only time I'm wearing a tie is when the phrase "Will the defendant please rise?" <laughs> is about to be uttered. Um, but I had it work with the team before. Borrowed a shirt from my brother, and uh, but yeah, I I could. I swore I would never work a Jets game. 
But, you know, things worked out. Did you really work? Uh, did I? You tell me. <laughs> I mean, so so it was it was take your buddy to work day. So Joe saw me actually working with an NFL team with a semi-B-list celebrity. Uh, why, why don't you talk a little bit about my professionalism? <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't really get into the specifics. But honestly, you were you were you could just crack jokes with the, the the with the talent coordinator and pretty much everybody we were from security when I when I found out because I don't know the people until I meet them and the woman who came out to like walk us through security I'm like oh hey Ashley she's like oh I'm not Ashley I'm Ashley's assistant I turn my back on her I don't talk to assistants <laughs> you know and there's that brief moment where this poor girl's like. Ah, uh, I know there's some assholes in this industry, but I didn't know. But it, it, but it was. It was a fun day. You were your usual charming self. Go on, charming you, self. Yes, uh, I yelled at the old lady for not saving our seat in the Porsche room. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. It was it, drizzling during sound check. There was a big staging area, like the you know Constantine was supposed to be up on a platform. But then when it came time for the anthem, that's when the uh, you know got parted this clouds like locust descended upon the uh the earth noah's ark was ready right and actually big shout out to the the jets cheerleading squad because Indeed. they i mean they they go out like it was like they're in florida on an 80 degree day you know this is like and this isn't even like the worst weather that they have to perform in you know and they're performing by the way to maybe a 50 percent capacity crowd if if that i mean it's one of those things where the jets sadly and shockingly and sadly for jets fans jets fans were hoping to tank this year to get a better draft thing uh, they they gutted their roster they're playing at the league floor of like salary and payroll they they were tanking this season and and a lot of jet fans are like we can't even fuck up right uh so they have a good record going into this game playing the nfc championship team so you would expect it to be packed but because of the the rain was that bad and they knew it was going to be that bad and it ended up being a jets loss anyway so those fans that didn't show up smart uh, and I don't know how many didn't show up or how many like us, because in the section where we were, that green room thing, it's a whole seating area. But nobody, everybody who was watching the game was crunched under the overhang. How how much was it raining in it, you ask? It was raining so much, it was raining inside. Right. <clears throat> right. The tunnel where the talent comes out, there's a, about like a 10, 15 foot space between like the proper inside of the stadium uh, and then w- the, the actual entrance to the tunnel. And right at the point where the seating area, or the, the sort of overhang seating area ends, it's like the Jungle Cruise ride at Disneyland. It's the backside, backside of, of water. water. <laughs> and it just, you, you, yeah, you, you have to avoid getting rained on after you get in to shelter from the rain. Uh, but it was, and it was, it was foggy. It was great. And then after we left early, we were able to catch the fourth quarter thanks to my Sirius XM app on my phone. And we would have gotten home a, lot, a little sooner had we not missed the exit to get onto the highway. Uh, but we were too busy, you know, fretting over the uh, the game. Joe is being kind by saying we. Joe had no control over the steering of the car. I was navigation, let's uh, be honest. No, the navigation was the map on my dashboard <laughs> facing me. But it, it didn't have the turn-by-turn turn because we had my phone piped we, we in. We had his phone piped in listening to the Pats game. And honestly, and I remember it's like a sixth of a mile, you know, 0.6 miles, a turn to the highway comes up. And... 
It's just, I forget what, what, it was a crucial day, and I'm just so intent on listening to it. It was a typical it. Patriots fourth quarter. It was just sort right. of like, this is not a sure thing. I think they were down by eight, maybe. And, uh, and, they were up by eight, well, they were, oh, no, the sorry, Chargers they, they were up the ball. By, right, right, right. And there was a, they, were, they were threatening. And, and it was one of those things where it's like, I didn't realize I missed the, the turn for about three or four miles. And then it's one of those things where the next turn, there's no place to turn around for like eight, nine miles. Uh, but at least it was raining so hard. You're going, if the speed limit was like 45, 50, you're going 20 Right, and then to add to our time frame, getting back, so we stop at a, <laughs> at a gas station for food, and um, Jacques, you know, pumps the gas, and we go in, <laughs> and we go in just to pick up some food, and we come back out, and Jacques wraps up the the tank, and you know, uh, we head off, and I, we we, we switch, you know, so Jacques was driving when we got to the gas station, and I was driving away from the gas station, and then about five miles in. The light goes on that says that there's no gas. And I look at him and I go, why didn't you pump any gas? They're all out. They only have diesel. <laughs> Got to go to the next one. So Jacques put the nozzle into his car, came in with after me to the food mart, user facilities, bought whatever shit he needed to buy, came out with me at the end, and then forgot that he didn't press Well, I, I did, but it's, it probably just shut off, like, you know... Oh, uh, ten seconds in. Ten seconds in. But yeah. honestly, if, if we didn't switch... And again, so Joe, Joe has been with me watching Super Bowl games and regular games. He knows that I am not a functioning human being anytime the Patriots are... But the Patriots had won. Well, yeah, but I was still basking in the glory that was a win. <laughs> against the team they should have beat by 50 points. Uh, it was my Again, it was my fault that we missed the turn because I didn't tell you to turn. And it was my <laughs> fault that we were out of gas because I should have checked when I turned the car on afterwards that it didn't go Hey, did full. this idiot actually pump gas when he uh, pumped the gas? So, yeah. so, so, but uh, it was literally like that Tommy Boy moment. It right. Was, <laughs> it was so... They're all out. Uh, what did you do? What did you do? And then, uh, and, and again... A handful of my friends, you know, like like Biff and stuff like that, have got to stand sideline of an NFL game. And it's really, I kind of wish that it wasn't raining because, I mean, it's a little cooler when it's 70,000 screaming people. But it was pretty great. No, it was a really good time. And thanks for letting me tag along and causing us to miss the turn and well, then well, causing us he, to not Here's the sad thing. Now that you've done this, and I mean, I mean this, it's like I have trouble... Getting people to come to these things. I don't think when I tell people how cool being behind the velvet rope is and when you get to see things that you normally wouldn't see, like, and, and I mean this, it's like usually we do a photo op thing with the cheerleaders, but again, because of the rain, it wasn't, there wasn't that up. But we're still standing, you know, with the NFL cheerleaders right next to us for like just 10 minutes, like, you know, and there's Constantine chit chatting with them. And again, it's, it's, it's kind of funny for a not social media guy to be around somebody whose life is social media because every, two or three minutes, Constantine is taking a picture with a player or with a cheerleader, and instantly it has to go up on his 71 different... His Snapchat, his Google, his uh, MyYube. MyYube. My I, just, I just came up with something. MyYube. Um, yeah. You Copyright both. Carnival Personnel <laughs> Podcast. But it was a great time. Thank you for taking me in, and hopefully we can do one with the Patriots. Yeah, um, yeah well, some, some I, you see, and I've always, you know, it's funny, because I just talked to a guy with the NFL. Uh, I... I don't know if I could do a Patriot game because as unprofessional as I was working at Jets game. You don't want to meet your heroes. Is that what you're you saying? You kind of don't. Yeah. You, you know, because um, it's one of those things where 
it's bad enough that I'm in the Jets thing, like, you know, and the Jets TVs are all around. The game is, you know, right out the window right there. And I'm on my phone, and you're on your phone tracking every Patriot play and stuff. Um, And one thing I do want to mention that this trip gave us a chance to do was Ah. catch up on an old classic on the ride there. Uh, the National Lampoon Radio Hour. The best of the National Lampoon Radio Hour. So Joe and I, and we've talked about this before, took a cross-country trip, 96, 96 97. 97, and listened to it the whole way. And it's a box set. Uh, you, we, we will, at one point, do a whole uh, a sideshow on the National Lampoon Radio Hour. In a nutshell, National Lampoon Radio Hour was a half-hour radio show uh, in the early 70s. It was the precursor to SNL. Most of the people that were the driving force of that radio show were the first season of SNL. Like, John Belushi was, like, the main, like, influence driver, writer, producer of it. But it also had Chevy Chase. Well, yeah. What about? I mean, I think it was more of uh, Michael 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 O'Donoghue. He, well, right, but, but You're talking about talent wise, talent wise, right? But he was one of, and you can hear like a lot of the bits that spilled on over to to the first couple seasons of SNL and the influence. I mean, it was basically a radio version of the not ready for primetime players before they were really not. It ready. was like seventy three, seventy four, or something like that. Yeah, so. Attention should be paid to such comedy. Some of the humor's dated, and somewhere it still stands up. But it's funny. It's like, so it's 21 years since the last time we took a road trip listening to it. And it was great. But, I mean, there was a couple things. It's like, is this as great as I remember? Is it? And I'm going to say no, but it was still pretty awesome. A story about the trip that I haven't even got to talk to Joe yet. Uh, so I have a friend in New York, Perry, who was going to go to the game, and he can't, trying to work a couple film projects with Perry. And he's like, I can't go, but a writer friend of mine, Winston, is a big fan. He'd like to go. So he has a group text. He introduces me to the guy, and I leave a couple tickets for Will Call. And, and you know, Joe briefly met this guy, Winston. I briefly met him. And then he uh, showed up at the game. He got there after halftime, which is often the case. When something's free, there's not like oh, these $500 tickets to be in that thing are really worth $500 when somebody just gives it to you. But he showed up, nice guy, chatted for a little bit before we had to go, and then my friend Perry calls me two days ago because he was confused why his friend Winston hadn't said anything, and then it turned out he has two writer friends named Winston, and he sent the wrong one. Oh, my goodness. So he's like, yeah, you know. Do I they get... all look alike? Is that what? Well, here's the funny thing. It's like, he goes, he goes, yeah, and then, you know, I get this text, uh, I got tagged, I guess that's one of you social media millennial yeah, tags, things. Yeah. He goes, Who's this with Jacques in the picture? Who's this black guy? Am I supposed to... Oh, wait a minute. That's not my Asian friend, Winston. That's the (laughs) black friend, Winston. Well, you got your Asian Winston, you got your regular Winston. And so he's really good friends with Asian Winston, and he... (laughs) Kind of knows the black Winston, but they're both writers. And when he was texting, he just hit the wrong Winston to confirm which one was coming. And the other one's like, "Yeah, I never heard back from your buddy." So I didn't find that. And he's like, "He could have been an expert." And and he's like, "So apologetic." I'm like, "Dude." That just makes the story so much better. Are you kidding? This is absolutely awesome. I was just disappointed that he knew nothing about ghost busting. <laughs> so that that uh that was that was uh our uh, our carnival personnel field trip for November. So again, so uh, Joe's had a big year out of the basement. You know, you had 
Renfair. Yeah. You had the retro, retro world. world. Yeah. Uh, you have this. In a couple weeks, maybe I can drag you to Comic-Con in, uh, in Rhode Island. Go to the big Ooh, city, Rhode right, Island. Right. <laughs> but seriously, it's, it's like the, the fourth quarter of uh, 17 has not been the worst so far. Like the Patriots. Like the Patriots. The Patriots have become the NBA. Like, you watch <laughs> the last two minutes, you've seen the whole game. So, but yeah, that was a, a lot of fun. Um the HR department for Monkey Shark Inc. Are, are they going to have a problem with how I conducted myself on the trip? Uh, no, I won't. No comment. <laughs> okay. So, so, so. All right. Jumping around a little bit. Where, where are we going next? Uh, why don't we go down Sexual Harassment Boulevard? Jesus, what a what, what a week! <laughs> like you know, and I, and it just was announced by the time we're we're podcasting this. Uh, Netflix today has. Completely separate. And his agency. Oh, his agency, too. We're talking about, of course, Kevin Spacey amid his sexual harassment allegations. You know, uh, a gay comedian that I listened to a, a morning show, um, she was saying, it's like, we always talk about there's never a bad time to come out. Well, Kevin Spacey just proved that theory wrong. It's like, maybe this wasn't the best time to kind of... Uh, announce this. So Anthony Rapp is his name. So he's on Star Trek Discovery. And he came. He, he alleged publicly about a week or so ago that uh, when he was aged 14, back in the 90s, Kevin Spacey came on to him drunkenly and um, you know, uh, propositioned him, maybe uh, uh, touched him inappropriately. Uh, 14 years old, you know, which, you know, 14 will get you 20. And, and I, uh, another gay comedian was saying, I'm really gay. I've been really drunk. Never found a 14-year-old attractive. Right. So, so when Spa- that was part of Spacey's apology, kind of, coming out, kind of, tweet, because that's really the only way we communicate now as a nation upon important issues. And he's like, oh, well, I don't really remember, but... I, pro- I think he said, I apologize sincerely for any sort of inappropriate drunken behavior that I may have exhibited. But he also said, while we're clearing the air, I want to address that uh, for decades there have been rumors about my personal life and who I've been uh, in, in relationships with. And I want to say that I've also, you know, I've been living my life as a gay man, which was, it is an odd misdirect from a pedophilic, essentially pedophilia, to bring... Well, that's a big word for a 12-year-old. <laughs> to bring the, the fact that you're gay or bisexual into the same conversation, it just actually it, it, it muddies the waters when it comes to the uh, idea of what pedophiles are. Like, oh, you know, this if you're a gay guy, you're obviously you're interested in little boys too. Unfortunately, unfortunately, and it's because of like you know the priest scandals and stuff like that. People haven't a lot of unevolved people will just say don't realize that that wasn't a sexual thing as much as it is a power thing type thing and it's like yeah i have a ton of gay friends and you know i'm pretty sure that none of them and but that's something that 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 community has to face the stigma that a lot of uneducated unevolved people don't realize that there's nothing to do with one another, you yeah, know. And, and I'm not an evolved person, and I know that, <laughs> right? But unfortunately, so when he, when somebody in that limelight comes out, but again, going down the list, there's all these stories, you know, coming out, and you know, some of them more egregious than others. I'm really surprised at the Cosby thing last year that we, you know, joke about, maybe wrongfully joke about a lot on our show, didn't. Sp- 
spawn the backlash or, or the public outcry that the Harvey Weinstein thing has. And it, it's interesting that they have publicly come out and said, yeah, we might be arresting him. It's like, eh, do you usually give the heads up to people? Right. You the know, courtesy, yeah, like just like a FYI, uh, we might be coming to your house to place you under arrest. You're for really rich and have. Um, <laughs> if it's, whenever it's convenient, maybe we can schedule a time to come by and potentially talk about arresting you. But, but I mean, he, if somebody's going to be a flight risk, he's somebody with a lot of. Re- I mean, even though it's cut off now, I'm pretty sure he has a couple dollars in the bank, and I don't know if they've seized his passport or anything. But anyways, it's it's it spawned this thing. And, but then on the other hand, it's like we, we we talked a little bit about like. Even 93-year-old, you know, George Bush Sr., who I'm not a fan of, is being, like, kind of accused of stuff at this point. Everybody is. I'm accusing you, Nick. I, I, I was, I was going to say. Um, but, you know, on a brighter side, um, Mueller's investigation has taken a turn for the interesting. Great. <laughs> Do you, tell. Have you heard anything about this? I love to not know shit. <laughs> so, you know, a couple uh, major indictments, a couple major. I don't know. Was he? Was man? Yeah, man. Manafort Manafort's was, been arre- was arrested. Yeah. and arraigned. And, right, and there was another guy. Uh, to figure Papadopoulos. Uh, yes. Am I saying it right? Right from Webster. And so. <laughs> Who who would have thought the ex-football player turned sitcom actor? Alex Karras, we hardly knew ye. So the interesting thing about Papadopoulos is he's already pleaded guilty. And what's really interesting is the White House, this entire administration, has been uh, plagued by leaks. Plagued by a lot of things, but one of the things is the leaks. And very often... The news that is coming out in, in you know, our good friends at Fox So-Called News, they're more interested in the leaks than what's being leaked. It's like, well, sure, they broke all these laws and are grifting, but you're not supposed to know that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and they can't, they can't keep these leaks quiet. The funny thing is we didn't know that, uh, that Manafort's house was raided till two weeks after, which is amazing because – he lives in a public place, you know what I mean? And, and we're talking dozens and dozens of law enforcement people got there. And when they asked the neighbors to kind of don't run to the media, like everybody carries a complete outlet to the world in their pocket. Everybody has their own news station at the ready with a camera, with a recorder, with access to Twitter and all that stuff. But nobody said anything about Manafort's. 230 no-knock uh, warrant at his house. But this Papadopoulos, nobody knew that not only had he been picked up, had he been arraigned, that he pled guilty and was still working in the White House. So that's got to have a lot of people having sleepless nights. It's like, how much does he know? How much has he pled guilty to? And again, you know, our supreme leader and his ultimate wisdom, they come out, we barely know the guy. It's like, well, here's your Instagram picture from March in which you're sitting one person away from him at a security council meeting that you you Blotus tweet out saying, I got this. I forget. Do you remember what the tweet said? Have you seen the picture? Uh, I did see the picture, but I remember that uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said that he was a somebody who was somewhat affiliated with a campaign who attended a meeting one time. And like 
you know, made it sort of like, you know, it was sort of like, you know, bring your campaign donor to work day kind of thing. Like, why was he there if he wasn't a part of the campaign or if he wasn't part of the administration or if he wasn't an essential, you know, advisor of some sort? What the fuck was his role anyway? Uh, well, he was an advisor role. He, he, um, uh, but the interesting thing is they said the same thing when Manafort... He's our token Greek. When Manafort got, you know, uh, when the warrant was searched, they tried to say he was with the campaign a very short time. Let's say he was with the campaign a day. For that one day, he was, you know, the head yeah. of your campaign. So he knew absolutely everything, everybody, everybody knew who he was. And of course, he was with the campaign a lot longer than a day. So now this guy... It's like, oh, somebody you barely know that you haven't vetted is one of 12 people sitting with you at a security council meeting. That, again, why are you taking pictures inside a security council meeting and tweeting it out? So it's hard, like, seven months later to turn around, oh, I barely know the guy. He was hardly there. Well, you look even worse. So somebody you barely know and hardly there, you're trusting with the nation's secrets. In that meeting, from that picture, Papadopoulos has stated that he had the ability to arrange a private meeting between Putin and, and Blotus, which now, this, as, the, as the ball of yarn is starting to seriously unwind. The greatest yarn, by the way. The greatest. The biggest ball of yarn. We got big balls of yarn. Our Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, who... Um, I'm going to have to stop pledging my love to, uh, like, Mayor Cruz of San Juan because I'm falling in love again with Senator Al Franken, oh. who, who has been great in, in, in being very, very political, very kind, and publicly saying Jeff Sessions is having a lot of trouble with the truth right now because uh, Jeff Sessions, during his confirmation hearing— I never met with any Russians ever under any circumstances in my house. I don't even know, is Russia a place? Is that an actor? And then all of a sudden it becomes like, I didn't meet with Russians to, I only met with a Russian. I didn't meet with Russians. <laughs> and then it turns out, oh, well, here's these three times you were in a room for a meeting and there was... 12 people there and four of them were, oh, well, yes, I met all those people. I kind of forgot because we didn't talk about politics. I'm not going to try to do accent. We didn't talk about politics. And now it turns out, well, there's several more times that, uh, that he has. Like it's about five or six times now they've been able to put him in a place with these people having these conversations. And now that Papadopoulos has pleaded guilty to saying we talked about putting secret meetings together with Putin himself as Jeff Sessions sitting there, and uh, I guess that slipped his mind. Yeah. I didn't meet with the Russians when the Russians met with me. (laughs) It was just... And all of a sudden, for for all intents and purposes, in my mind, Jeff Sessions is a cross between Bob Dylan and Frank Perdue. (laughs) Yeah, I'll take that. And again, don't forget, this is the guy who's had the woman arrested for laughing when at a Senate confirmation hearing, she just chuckled out loud when he says, like, he's had great relationships with race. Like, he's not at all a racist. And the woman just laughed. Not only was she arrested and prosecuted, they are, have prosecuted her again because they didn't like the outcome. So, so we're not, um, we're not 
fully there yet, but uh, but the the Mueller Express is uh, moving forward. It's so, starting again. Your love for 1970s Saturday Night Live writers continues. <laughs> right, exactly. I wonder if Al Franken was part. No, I don't think he was. No, part Franken of- and Davis was not part of the National Lampoon Radio Hour. So you know what. Jonathan, I know that when you came by, you looked at our studio and you thought, wow, there's no way that one man could have funded this entire uh, outfit on his own. He must have had help from outside sources. And you're right. And that's why we have to rely on this defunct sponsor of the week. Ground, round, great meals. It's my steak place. Ground, round, great deals. It's our family place. Ground, round, my ground. It's our lunch place. Ribs, ribs, and more ribs. Save a dollar on great rib combos like steak and ribs, chicken and ribs, and more. Irresistible at a dollar off. Ground, ground, my ground, ground. It's our game place. Ground, ground. For ribs, make it your place. You know what? I'm glad that we still accept con- Confederate money on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> right, no, I, I don't know how we would make ends meet if we didn't. You right. know? Yeah, it's not like we're Facebook accepting payments for political ads paid in rubles and denying any involvement with... <laughs> but hey, you know, to actually try to be a little fair and balanced, there is a story that broke this week that is now kind of... I don't know if getting more cloudy or more clarity, but you know, Joe gave me the heads up about the uh, the Hillary Clinton DNC funding. Oh, we're going to talk about that real quick. I mean, if we're going to talk about, I mean, seriously, yeah, we're going to be fair around. Yeah, anyway. So, hmm, again, we're going to. I'm going to fuck this story up, and by the time you hear this, there will have already been more. And facts. We're all dumber for having heard it. <laughs> <laughs> so I read an excerpt on Politico.com. From Donna Brazil's new book that's coming out uh, about her uh, experience with the uh, Democratic National Committee uh, as the former interim chief of the National uh, Committee when Debbie Wasserman Schultz was let go after it was revealed that there was a lot of boxing out of the Bernie campaign when it came time to nominate their, um, their candidate uh, for the 2016 election. And it, was in, it, it turned out that it was heavily favored in Hillary Clinton's campaign's uh, favor. The weaponized email hack, when it came out, that there was internal emails and, and basically more funds were being, a lot more funds and attention were being given. It was like, well, let's give them a fair trial and then hang them type thing. Yeah, so Donna Brazil, in her book, uh, claims... That she had seen a, uh, I think it's a joint funding agreement between Hillary Clinton's campaign and the Democratic National Committee, basically from she claimed from August 2015 that said that uh, Hillary's campaign she she was not the nominee and it was just four months after she had even announced her candidacy that they would assume the millions of dollars in debt that the Democratic National Committee had amassed since the Obama campaign, which was scheduled to be paid off by 2016. But apparently they were just sort of hemorrhaging money. Debbie Wasserman Schultz apparently, instead of having their staff between presidential campaigns, which is what's typical with national committees, she kept all the people on and maybe added a few more people. They were going through about three to four million dollars a month in expenses, yeah, it was just sort of a, a nightmare. So I guess it, there was this assertion that there was this tit-for-tat thing where Hillary campaign basically said, well, we'll absorb your debt and we'll, we'll also 
um, you know, help fundraise and this and that. But we will basically have final say as to who the candidate will be. Hey, who, who did he pick? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. I right. So the, there. So there was that assertion. Um, and there also there were there were two financial agreements. There was the August 2015, uh, and then there was one in August 2016 or July 20. Maybe it's July July 2015 and August 2016. There were two financial agreements between. Uh, there was like a memo one year and then a, a financial agreement the next year. But long story short, too late. The uh, the Hillary camp or the pro Hillary camp online, at least that I've seen, have come back and said, well. You know, thanks to those leaks, we actually have copies of those joint financial agreements that you claimed were in favor of the Hillary campaign taking over the Democratic National Committee in 2015. However, that's not the case. There was a standard agreement that was put in place in July of 2015. And then there's after she was nominated in August in 2016, there was the uh, there was the, the, the more substantial financial agreement, which is typical when somebody is nominated for, as their candidate, that, you know, say if even Bernie Sanders had won the nomination, his camp would have taken over the DNC and absorbed all their funds or whatever the, the case may be. So there's an assertion that maybe Donna Brazil had potentially confused the two memos when she was going through all the paperwork, or she's kind of fudging the facts to sell books, you know, so there's a, the, the plot thickens, as they say. Let's say she's 100% right. I mean, I am a Bernie guy. I, I, I was on the Bernie bandwagon over a decade ago. He did this weekly call into a show that I listened to, syndicated show I listened to. I, I love his politics. I like him a lot. And yeah, he got screwed. And the whole thing is, he did he definitely get screwed? He did. And when those emails came out, it's like, okay, it's not conspiracy theory. We're not making this up. He did get screwed. On the other hand, I mean, he didn't have the political machine behind him. Even if you take away all these different things, I mean, most likely, even if it was a level playing field, uh, Hillary, Hillary was going to be the nominee. I mean, that was determined a few years ago. But at the same time, like Joe and I talked about this before we started recording, it's like, let's not just be partisan hacks. I mean, it's something bad, but this raises a bigger picture. Right now, we have a completely unhinged person in the White House who, when he announced his nomination, it was so inconceivable, inconceivable that he would get to where he is. And he's only there because Democrats can't get the fuck out of their own way. And now, not only is he as bad as we thought, he is worse in a lot of cases. And I agree with um, Brian Cranston, who, who, who is a Hillary supporter. And he's like, if you're rooting against him, well, fuck you, because you, I know you don't like him, but the worst he does, the worst we all are. And it's not that you know he wants him to be this great president in one another term, but at the same time, he doesn't want us to continue to flush. You know, We're flushing ourselves down the bowl. Right, exactly. Just because it's on fire doesn't mean you get to pour gasoline on it. So, so I, I mean, it, when, when I first read that quote, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Is he for Trump? And then I decided to do something um, unusual. I read behind the headline. No! <laughs> I, I actually didn't stop reading at the headline. But that's the problem with the Democrat Party. Now, again, we said a couple weeks ago when, when Senator Flake from Arizona had that 17-minute speech about how awful Blotus was and then turned right around and voted the party line, you know, with, with everything, with taking away health care, with it. But you go down the line. He can hate Blotus as much as he wants, but all the votes are generally 
52 Republican senators. I mean, that was a holding with health care. This shock that three out of 52 didn't take the party line. As much as they might infight, as much as it's uh, you, you keep hearing it's Republican civil war and this senator's fighting with Blotus and Blotus is saying this about this guy, it's unbelievable when it comes time to shut the fuck up and vote party line. They all fall in. Where on the other hand, us snowflakes with our own personal agendas, the infighting, the fact that he won is as much to blame for the Democrats not having their shit together. And as bad as things are, as bad as things will be up till 2018 and 2020, I mean, uh, something like this only fuels the fire of the um, the disenfranchising of people on the snowflake side of the fence that should be galvanized by this. But, I mean, honestly— the Republican Party is no more fixable than the Democratic Party because they look who they had for a nominee. I mean, th- this is who they, they went through, and Donald Trump has bragged about it, how many you know, candidates he had to mow down. I think it was 17 at the start, and, and not 17. I mean, probably 100 people threw their hat in the ring at one point. Front runners. But 17 people on the stage for the first nationally televised In that GOP. airplane hangar, right? Right. Yeah. It, 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 there were so many people that they had to do a varsity and junior varsity thing. Remember, they yes. had to have like there – was, there was six or seven, seven or eight people because the stage wasn't big enough. So they like, the, okay, we're going to cut off the first 12 can be the – It's a last supper. And then here's the kids' table. But they, so yeah, so the Republican Party is a complete mess. But the the Democratic Party, they okay. Let me put it this way: the way the Republicans had too many candidates to choose from, and they couldn't figure out like who should be their front runner. The Democratic Party has one, maybe two, really strong three, I guess, really strong candidates, strong-ish candidates. Who do we have to offer if there were an election tomorrow? Okay. I mean, obviously, my two favorite are, are Senator Warren. Yep. Um, Senator and Senator, um, and Senator Franken. Franken. But but they are so hardworking, and, and they are the real voices that are, you know, fighting back. I mean, Senator Warren's one-woman war on, on banking, I mean, she is the one person, like, trying to keep like Betsy DeVos from completely bankrupting like you know everybody in college or with college debt she's fighting back against this you take her out i mean there's she's head of these banking committees that are trying to silence her that are thinking she's fighting too much cuz let's face it a lot of democrats get their money from a lot of the same people so some of the same wall street hedge fund people and the same thing al franken if you take him out of there you know where he's from is a very purple area it could go either way uh, he's doing well. I, th- I think he's very popular. Um, I don't know, like, uh, if he's up in 2000. I don't think he's up in 2018. I think he's up in 2020. But do you want to risk that seat? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, who's in the White House is we're finding out isn't nearly as important as, I mean, Obama didn't get shit done. or Obama mm-hmm. didn't get as much shit done because he had a red wall that he that he had to fight. He couldn't get things through the Senate. He couldn't get things through the Congress. He couldn't get with a year left in his term 
a nominee a hearing for the Supreme Court. So what you're saying is that the Democratic Party should maybe focus more on the midterms. Strong everything. Yeah, like yes. really, like really try to get wedge in the whatever open seats are available in 2018. Try to get your fucking foot in the door so that we can start to maybe get some some momentum back. I on mean, the, it's on 52 to 48 in, in in the Senate. You're not going to flip the House. Um, Sidebar, getting a little bit into it. The Supreme Court is supposed to come out very soon with their ruling on the gerrymandering that was done after the 2012 election. Um, or was it the 2010 midterms? The, the, they changed all of these rules to kind of flip the House. And, and it, right now, there's no way, like the Democrats would, there's no way the Democrats could flip the House. It's that far apart. And with the gerrymandering, maybe if the rule is changed by the Supreme Court, it wouldn't be this time. It would be 2020 uh, elections where they would have, but they have a legit chance at the Senate. And to flip that, you need to keep all 48 seats you have and flip three. And if you can do that, then, you know, maybe the second half of the first term won't be as awful. And that's why they're rushing. They're, they're, that's why there's no hearings. There was no hearings for the repeal of Obamacare. There was no because they're trying to push things through as fast as they can because they know if they lose it, they're done. If he's in the White House and they don't have the Senate, that that would be the downfall of them. Yeah, strike while the iron's hot and while you have control of the iron. Right. So so uh, yeah, no, nothing will be in and every every election is the most important election ever. But it also doesn't help when when asked. Uh, Senator Warren was asked by, I think, Jake Tapper if she felt that the system was rigged. She said, yes. Very, very adamant about it. And she's friends with Bernie Sanders. You know, they've she's been on his podcast a couple times. But yeah, so, so again, like, you know, not to bury our heads and say with anything, I think you're a better American by saying, yeah, we're a great country. We should be a lot better. And I think for our party, or for, you know, I'll speak for myself, for my party, I think it's more important to say, we're really fucked up. Let's get our shit together. You know what? Actually, I'm going to disagree with you. I think this is why we fail. Okay. No, to be flat um, out honest with you, great. I mean, you talk about the Republicans and the, how they're galvanized, and it's like, yes. you know, put the blinders on, and we love America, and, you know. It was the anything but Donald campaign inside very publicly, but as soon as he was a nominee, right. boom. Right. Just, let's get on board. They are the Borg. And yes, that, yes, and, great. I mean, that's they have the hive mentality. They're great at stirring up recruits. You know, ISIS actually looks at the Republican Party's tactics and goes, wow, can we get our shit together? Yeah, exactly. Can we? Let's do what they do. So that's sort of like, uh, to quote a great man, uh, evil will always triumph because good is dumb. Spaceballs. Spaceballs. Yeah. Um, but that's basically it. I mean, that's what the Democrats can, you know, be... We can be as righteous and as uh, you know, as, as even keeled as we want, but when it push comes to shove, when it comes to fucking honestly, when it comes to idiot Americans and their vote, the Democrats will never win them over. No, management said that. I remember two thousand four watching the election with our friend Mike at at our post house in, in Santa Monica, and complaining about basically they cheated, you know, and it's like, and my, you know, management was like. Well, then they have to. And, and and we briefly tried to make the argument, well, that's not right. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like, unless you're willing to come up with your own, uh, what is it, skipper boats for justice kind of. Oh, the swift boats. Swift boats for justice. Absolutely horrible. Absolutely horrible. And I said it before. 
It's horrible, but it's brilliant. George Bush, admittedly alcoholic, on drugs, doesn't show up for his ROTC draft dodging thing that daddy set up, was able to use um, John Kerry's war record against him, the guy who served four terms. Anyway, so yeah, but let's talk about everybody's favorite part of the show, uh, the New England Patriots. Tom Brady is back to being the best-looking quarterback of the New England Patriots. Uh, yeah. Well, well, as as management calls Jimmy Garoppolo, handsomeopolis. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she doesn't know much about football, but man, is she right about Jimmy G. That is one good-looking guy. Uh, he's now with the 49ers. Uh, everybody in town has... You know, whatever, talk that to death. You know, the scary thing is... I know I have. The scary thing is we we had to get our old backup, Brian Hoyer, who just before the trade was cut as the backup for an 0-18. <laughs> so the best guy out there that we can get to back up the GOAT, you know, I mean, honestly, he can't hold the job. I think Brian Hoyer has been a quarterback on like four teams in like the last six seasons. But we trade away our third backup quarterback to the Colts, or, you know, before the season starts. Now we get rid of Jimmy G at the trade deadline. Edelman, who is the unofficial fourth quarterback on the team. But the, but the big news is I'm spinning it the way management would want to, that Tom Brady is now back to the best-looking quarterback on the New England Patriots. And uh, Joe and I aren't baseball guys, but uh, I'm happy that Houston won the World Series. Yeah, you know what? It's funny. I didn't watch the World Series, uh, even though it was an exciting World Series and probably one that should have been watched by me. But the day after the Game 7 win by the Astros, I'm— I check Twitter every morning, and I'm looking, and I, you know, I follow a lot of celebrities, and I'm like, huh, not a lot of talk about the World Series, not a lot of pro-Dodger talk, not a lot of congratulatory tweets, although I did see one, one that struck my eye, and I forget who sent it, but the, and it got a lottery tweets that said, congratulations to the L.A. Dodgers for having successfully <laughs> not having to meet the President of the United States. Yeah. <laughs> Avoid meeting the President of the United States. You know, but, but, it, it, no, it's true that, that. Sports can uplift a city, and honestly, Puerto Rico doesn't have a team in the World Series, so that wasn't going to help. But but something like this is great for a city and, and spirits. And you know what Houston's been through this year. I I didn't truly have a dog in the race. Um, I don't own a dog when it comes to baseball. I own two real dog. I own a dog. Management owns another one, but uh, but seriously, I, I I was happy for that, and I'm also happy that wraps up our baseball talk for the. Uh, well, what, I will end with one final thing that I saw on the Onion. The Onion headline about the Astros win is that Houston says a World Series win can't rebuild a city as well as a Super Bowl win would have <laughs> rebuilt a city. <laughs> something along those lines. Um, Let's move on to something I know about. Yes, we are not doing the random video game review. Like, no, We're wait, not. Wait, I know our fans of this segment are going to be upset, but Joe has done a lot of research this week. He has worked. I got blisters on me fingers. <laughs> I think I'll leave it at that. Joe, what have you been up to this week? Video game-wise, I've been playing a new game that's been out for, you know, a couple of weeks called uh, Super Mario Odyssey for the Nintendo Switch. Ah, what a masterpiece. Is it? It's a masterpiece. E everything that... Like it's everything you dreamed of as a Mario fan, which I know you are, and more. It's a blast. It's a really good return to form, as they say. You know, it's a 3D game. 
It's open world, though. It's not as linear as the previous 3D games have been for the Nintendo Wii U. Uh, this is the first Super Mario game out for the Nintendo Switch. Luckily, Nintendo didn't shit themselves, as they didn't shit themselves with their Zelda entry into the new console. I, th- I thought you liked that no, Zelda they didn't. game. No, no, they did not. Okay, okay. Again, my English language, not so good talk. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyways... I'm just a frozen caveman. I'm just a frozen caveman. I don't know anything about your video game technology, but what I do know is that Super Mario Odyssey should be renamed Super Mario Masterpiece. It is great. It's a sight to behold. It's um, it uh, it tickles your nostalgia um, organ. <laughs> um, it tickles everything about you as uh, a Super Mario fan. It's open world. You get to um, explore different. Uh, Lands, you dress up Mario in different costumes, and he has different abilities. He has, as I mentioned in the Super Mario sideshow, when I teased the Super Mario Odyssey um, features, one new feature is that you have this possessed cap named Cappy. You can inhabit other enemies and other things, and it's a fun time. But does it have an end? It does. Uh, I haven't gotten to it yet. I beat... Bowser, which is, you know, stop the wedding and you defeat him. But then there's, like a, there's a second quest, if you will. And I'm in the middle of that, too. Like, like the last Transformer movie. Four times you thought, oh, <laughs> epic battle scene. This is over. The- oh, I guess we'll keep going. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. So it, it, it's, um, but it, it pays homage to the 8-bit era of Super Mario Brothers. It also pays homage to the Nintendo 64, Super Mario 64, which was the first 3D Mario. So this is not only nostalgia for the 80s Mario fans out there, it's also nostalgia for the 90s. Is Luigi in it? Uh, no, but you dress up as Luigi. Like, you buy costumes with coins. That's another thing, is that they, you don't have lives in this game. They've, they've done away with the live system. There's no one-ups anymore. Uh, so what you do is you collect coins, and they're abundant. But every time you die, you lose 10 coins. Uh, but the coins are also used to go to these shops in all the kingdoms. Every kingdom that you visit has a shop where you can buy costumes, and uh, the costumes get you into certain places and unlock certain levels. But you can dress up as Luigi. You can dress up to look like the Nintendo 64 version of Mario. Does Mario talk? Yes, he does. He, he has that, you know, it's the same guy, Charles Martineau, who does the voice of Mario. But he he only talks, like, in, in brief instances. It's not grading. It's not, like, every time, you know. Like, he goes, Wahoo, and uh, it's a me. And he goes, uh, you know, Super Mario Odyssey, that sort of thing at the beginning. Um, but it's fun, you know. And, and there's, an also, there's also this weird one kingdom called New Donk City, which is, it's like New York, but... It was fashioned after Donkey Kong, so it's run by the mayor of New Donk City is Pauline, who is the woman who was kidnapped by Donkey oh, Kong okay. in the original game. So she's the mayor now. In and, and which, and, and who, what, what was the other character in the original Donkey Kong who uh, was trying uh, to climb up and s- save her? Yeah, somebody named So Mark. wait, so he, he got Pauline... And he gets Princess Peach. Well, he doesn't player. get them. Player. <laughs> right. So. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. In his, in his storied career, yes. Yes. He got Pauline and then Peach. Oh, yeah. And uh, what is the price point on this? And it, I is think it's like a $60. It's a $60 game. Downloadable content or is this it? I don't know if there's going to be future downloadable content. I think, for, I mean, for the most part, like what they've offered is non-DLC, but it's all there. And you can use like Amiibos those little Nintendo figurines to unlock other features as well. 
in oh. the game. But um, you know, it's a sixty dollar game, but it's worth the, the price. If you, and, and honestly, this is going to be the game to motivate people like yourself who have money to burn and kids yearning for some games to play to buy a Switch. In the past, no, but since his podcast and the 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 money that keeps rolling in from the defunct <laughs> the sponsors, Confederate money is uh, accepted at Toys R Us. We uh, <laughs> child worlds, oh. and we um, no, because I was I was at uh, Target the other day, and there's a new Assassin's Creed, and and the oldest one, you know, he's kind of into that, and I'm looking, I'm like, it's 109 bucks. I'm like, what the f does it does it come with a reach around? And uh, <laughs> but but it's one of those deluxe things, and. Because gaming is kind of new to me, you know, newer to me. I'm thinking, well, the one next to it, the same thing. It's like $6, but it has the preloaded, downloadable season pass, which I, I'd almost rather pay the 109 bucks and get it over with. Like when you go to the airline, incorporate the price of the bag into the ticket. Right. I feel so less nickeled and dimed, <laughs> like, you know, afterwards. So that's why I didn't know if it's a $60 game. That's a $60 game. Yeah. That's another interesting feature, I guess. All these amiibos that have been out for years now that you've had for other games, so you don't have if you already have them, like like. Oh, don't don't worry. There, there you have the older ones that you can incorporate into this game. But then they're they're selling new ones. Well, but at least you you get to repurpose the old ones. It didn't. Oh, I got this new game. All these extra little effing pieces I bought at five dollars, eight dollars a pop the last couple of years. Try can, twelve. You, oh, see, you you still you get to repurpose them. So that that's not bad. No, yeah, it's a great game. And, and, and I I was playing it this morning when I took my boys to their music lessons because the Switch is portable. Bro. You can just fucking take yeah. it with you. So, I mean, but seriously, the fact that I forget because that's that's one of the bo- reasons the boys want me to get a Switch because um, we don't have enough gaming systems and I need another fucking hole in the head. <laughs> but the fact that you can take it from point A to point B with you. Yeah, but don't forget, it's it, it's a it's a delicate flower. It's, I mean, it's it's built nicely, but I, with your kids, I'd be nervous taking around. Like, imagine if the PlayStation Four was portable, right? And then you're giving it to your it's not because we kid. take it everywhere. See, my kids are, um, let's say, bowls in a china shop, <laughs> and it's they're big bowls and it's a small they're, china shop. They're bowls on Red Bull. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So no, but that's uh. So we're we're getting the the carnival personnel five star five stars masterpiece ten out of ten. Uh, any any uh, parenting tip for this week? Don't make your podcast way long. <laughs> I would say. Yeah, but, oh, that's not a parenting tip. That's so you can get back to the fucking game. Oh, right, Don't right. give me any shit. Uh, What's yours? Um, I learned it from watching you. Uh, got the call this week from um, from from the school again about. Uh, Language and inappropriate finger giving. Oh, go on. Uh, you know, I, I'm the I'm the one who probably way too young. You know, has has the fist up, and you know, I, I'm pretending with the other hand to be a magic box. Right. Boop. Boys loved it. Hysterical. Apparently. The kids in my little guy's class think it's hysterical as well. Not so much the teacher. <laughs> and it's one of those, when I got the call, he's like, oh, and he said this, or he says, and I've like told, you know, Joe before, like one time, Joe sent an air check of the podcast, and it started off with the opening joke of me saying, knock, knock, who's there? Go fuck yourself. They heard that. It's been repeated more often. So uh, my parenting tip of the week is uh, keep my kids away from me. <laughs> I'm a bad influence. 
and I'm going to squeeze it in here because I got the FNH update from Biff. I guess Biff scored a goal this week. What? On himself. <laughs> uh, and But not to be outdone, I guess our good friend uh, John had a really nice tip in on Biff. Uh, John was just, just a tip. defenseman. <laughs> yes, just the tip. Uh, that, that was after the game. That was the shower after the game. But uh, So John scored a goal on Biff while playing on his own team. Biff scored a goal against him. And I, I guess, you know, All-Star Tommy and... Uh, and, and uh, uh, Scotty Black just just ruled today, but there was a little controversy where our good friend and fellow listener uh, Scott Cohen uh, might be voted off the island, uh, but uh, for for um, forgetting it's not a Stanley Cup playoff game in 1974 and dialing some guys the numbers. That's it for the FNH update of the week. Uh, that's so pandering to our three listeners. I apologize to every Richard. Vote, every <laughs> I apologize to you, Richard, for having to hear this, or Jonathan, for you to have to listen to this. Jonathan's not listening. He does He gave he up. He listened to his one episode. Yeah, that's and he a one dialed, oh, Do you blame him? No, I commend <laughs> do, him. Do you listen? What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Under protest. <laughs> um, there's that. Oh, and uh, do not forget. 